The text for the sermon this day is taken from the gospel lesson, which was read to you earlier. Grace, peace, and mercy to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The things that Jesus says are not always easy to hear. In fact, sometimes when he preaches and teaches, he is downright offensive. And a good example of that is in today's reading. Only a day prior to this, he had, spent, he had fed 5,000 men with five loaves of bread and two fish. So his popularity was skyrocketed. It was soaring. All kinds of people were coming out to see him. And after feeding the 5,000, he walked on water. He came across the sh onto the other side, and that same crowd sought him out. And they wanted more of Jesus. But they didn't want more of him because he did signs. They didn't want more of him because they thought he was a mere that he may be the Christ. They wanted more of him because they wanted more food. They wanted more grub. And so this began a lengthy discussion between Jesus and the crowds. And so they begin, and by the way, this is kind of a theme in the Gospel of John, and it really begins to go this way, that the tensions between Jesus and the crowds begin to escalate more and more so, and this is one of those moments. And eventually he gets to this point where he says that unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in, you, have no life in you. That is a tough words. Think about that. He said, unless you eat my flesh, so this stuff, and drink my blood. I mean, that sounds like the command of a, sounds kind of vampirish, that you need to be a vampire or something. The very concept of drinking human blood is a disgusting thought. And amongst Jews, it's extra troubling because Jews did not eat the blood of anything. And here Jesus is saying that unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And he continues, it says, my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So there's any doubt as to what he said. He repeats it. He is telling them they must eat his flesh and drink his blood. And so they began to grumble. It says the disciples were grumbling and they're disturbed. And as a note... When you read disciples, it does not always mean the twelve. In this case, the disciples refer to the entire crowd. Refers to, the word disciple literally means student. And so it refers to anyone who is listening and learning from Jesus. And so that entire crowd was a disciple. So that's why it may, there's a distinction in the text between the disciples and the twelve. And so the disciples, 
These all this crowd, they're grumbling. They're saying they're thinking this is disturbing. And then Jesus says, What if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Now, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man many times. And in this text, he's made it clear when he says Son of Man, he is talking about himself. There are two ways in the Old Testament that the title Son of Man could be taken. The one way is the way it is taken in the book of Ezekiel. In Ezekiel, Ezekiel is called, O Son of Man. So it just means that your father is a man. He's human. And so you too are a human. But the other way is taken from Daniel chapter 7. When we read about the Son of Man descending upon the clouds, Jesus makes it very clear in his trial that that is what he means when he says Son of Man. And here, when he says the Son of Man ascending to where he was before, he is claiming to be God. And it's at that point, the man who had 5,000 people at least went down to 12. Because of just how offensive what he just said is. He claimed to be God. Which, by the way, he'd actually been doing that quite a bit up until this point. It's just now that they totally got it. Jesus says offensive things. In today's day and age, we still have to wrestle with the challenges of what is taught in Scripture. We wrestle with the fact that it does not, does not commingle very well with the worldviews of today. And the very core of it is, is that the idea that Jesus is the only way to salvation. That there is no salvation outside of him. That means Muslims, Buddhists, atheists, agnostics, Jews, yes, Jews even, Hindus, Sikhs, none of them are saved. All of them are without life. All of them are condemned because they have not believed on the one whom God the Father had sent. They had not believed on Christ. That is offensive. That is hard. That is difficult. Think about this. Every time, I mean, if you're like me, you probably know quite a few people in your life who are not Christian. You probably know a few atheists or agnostics. You maybe even know some people who are dabbling in some of the pagan religions. You look at them and you, hear, you see where they believe. It should send pain and sorrow that that person is not saved based upon their confession. That is offensive to our culture. And I might have mentioned this before, but to show 
just how offensive this is. Little over a year ago, one of the cabinet members for Don President Trump was, had, he was sitting before on a hearing to see whether or not he was qualified or whatever. And the question came up to him, came up was that he believes that Muslims were not saved. And according, because he believed that, according to a guy who was at one time a presidential candidate, Bernie Sanders, according to Bernie Sanders, that man is not qualified to hold public office. If you believe that if you believe that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father except through Him, according to many high-ranking political officials in our country, you are not qualified to hold any political office. That is to show the great offense of it. And that's, that is a big issue. There are, many, there are many Christian churches who see, have seen it, and I should say quote Christian churches, that have seen that this teaching is being so offensive that they have given into universalism. The idea that you are saved no matter what you believe. Rob Bell, a best-selling author, sold, wrote the book Love Wins. He has confessed that you don't have that that Hindus, Muslims, they can be saved. There are even, there are even pastors in another certain Lutheran church body who had who was keynote speakers at their national youth gathering, who has preached and stated that you don't have to be a Christian to be saved. And actually preached it at their national youth gathering. Because that is so much easier. It'd be so much easier if you could be saved by anything. Interestingly, at one point, Rob Bell, when he was on MSNBC, if any of you ever watch MSNBC, if you're familiar, it is not, it would never be mistaken for being a conservative news network. But there's at one point where Rob Bell was being questioned by a, by a journalist, who I think was pretty, probably an atheist, and Rob Bell was espousing, he was saying that, well, you don't have to be a Christian to be saved, you can believe what you want, type thing. And the journalist very wisely asked, then why believe it at all? Why bother with it? And that even comes into the question, why did the disciples die for faith that doesn't matter? That ultimately you could believe whatever you want. They go, like, oh, you, want to be, you don't want to believe Jesus rose from the dead? That's just fine. Just go about your merry way. And by the way, we do that in our culture. We treat our faith as if it's a matter of opinion. Or it's a matter of, well, that's just how I choose to live my life. And if you want to live your life this way, that is fine. No, it is not a matter of opinion. It is a matter of fact and reality. 
Either Jesus rose from the dead and nothing else matters more than it, or he didn't and you could be sleeping in right now. There's two choices. And by the way, it doesn't matter whether you think one's true or not. It is true whether you believe it or not. It's not about your opinion. It's either fact or it's not. But to teach that is, again, offensive. So when we face these offensive teachings of Jesus, and that's not even dealing with the issues surrounding marriage and what it means to be a man or a woman. And when you face the numerous offensive teachings in Scripture, what do we do? Do we want to be like the crowd and say, nope, I'm done. Let's get away from this. Or do we do what the disciples said very wisely? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Did you catch that in the liturgy, by the way? Have you ever heard those words before? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, what they understood, and by the way, don't give credit to the, to the twelve. Jesus right before said that this was revealed to them by the Father. They were enabled to believe it. So it's not to their credit. But moved by the Holy Spirit, they were moved to say these words. To understand that to follow any other path means death and destruction. And so by the Holy Spirit, they were led to say, we will partake of your flesh and blood. And they would later find out how exactly that is. For in there, in the bread, in, with, and under is the flesh of Jesus. In that wine, if, in, with, and under is the blood of Jesus which you drink for the forgiveness of sins. But that's not the only place where you eat the flesh and blood of Jesus. It also is in Think about John chapter 1. It begins, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And jump down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh. In other words, to eat the flesh and drink the blood of the, of the Son of Man is to partake in His Word, to read His Word, to receive it to such a point that you're almost devouring it. Remember what Jesus said? Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That is the flesh and blood of Jesus. It is the word itself. When you eat it, when you read it, when you study it, when you learn it, when you're in Bible classes, when you're in, you come to church, when you have daily devotions, you are, you're taking part in it. You're devouring it. So that it becomes a very part of who you are. See, that path which we are led to by the Holy Spirit, that carries a gift. A gift that was endowed from the cross itself. When the flesh of Jesus was nailed to the cross, and when the blood of Jesus 
poured forth from his veins, from the wounds. From that came forgiveness. From that came eternal life, which is given every time we hear the word, which is given every time we receive the body and blood in, with, and under the bread and wine. We receive eternal life. So may we be like these disciples and wisely say, when we are confronted with difficulties and say, Lord, it's not your word that needs to change. It's mine that needs to change. So guide me, lead me, for you have eternal life. Your word is eternal life. And may those words of eternal life pour from our lips. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace, peace, and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, keeping the one true faith to life everlasting. Amen. Please stand.